you will, please stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. This is the word of the Lord to Redeemer Church uh, this morning. Verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. You may be seated. One of our favorite uh, uh, movies as a family is Paddington. Uh, it's a fun, fun movie where uh, in the in the first one, Mr. Brown, who's like the the dad in the movie, at some point, uh, you know, he's slow to be won over by Paddington Bear, and and uh, at some point in the movie, he's just kind of tired of Paddington's nonsense, all of the shenanigans of putting up with this this little bear. And so Mr. Brown at one point offers up a prayer, and I thought it was just hilarious. Um, He says, give me strength to deal with this bear. Whenever um, I've I've been hiding this book in my heart, I have been struck by how many references there are to strength. 25 times in these six chapters, there are these words of power. And this morning, I want us to focus on those words and and try to learn something about strength that is available to believers. The gospel truth, the kind of sermon in a sentence uh, for this morning is the sovereign Lord shares immeasurable strength with believers. The sovereign Lord, the all-powerful, all-controlling, we mean it when we say Lord, the sovereign Lord shares immeasurable strength with believers. And this morning I want us to consider if you could have immeasurably great strength. What would you want that strength for? Not strength like you see in this world, but immeasurably great strength. 
that is offered to you, what would you want to use it for? Why would that be appealing to you? As you think about that, we can just look at God's Word as He tells us why He's given that kind of power to us. Both of the prayers in the book of Ephesians are related to power. The final command in the conclusion to the whole wonderful book of Ephesians is a command to be empowered. Let's look at this together. Point number one, what kind of strength is available to us? What kind of strength we see in verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1? It is the strength to raise the dead. Strength to raise the dead. As a pastor, one of the privileges I have is to oversee funerals. And I have witnessed all kinds of things at funerals. Each one seems a bit different as people try to cope with severe loss. One of my friends was sharing with me what he experienced at one of the funerals that he went to. He was um, standing after the funeral by the casket as, as the, the congregation was coming by the casket. And one woman walked up to the body and, and kind of slapped at the body of her loved one and said, get up. And if we didn't appreciate how tragic was the prayer expressed and the longing expressed in that phrase, get up. If we did not know how tragic it was, it would sound silly. Of course, the body was not going to get up. I don't know about you. I I, I know that we're, we're all inclined in different ways, but... I, As a believer, I feel like I'm so regularly aware of how weak I am. How often I feel so without strength. I feel like my trust in the Lord is too weak. I feel like my my obedience is so pathetic so often. I feel like my ability to serve in all the ways that, that the Lord graciously provides me opportunities to serve. My ability is so lacking. And I am so aware of how unable I am to ensure the kind of outcome that I would want from those opportunities to serve. I make so many assumptions about what's going on. I faced this last night. when I had to confess to my sweet Evie after family worship when I was short with her. She was wanting to express this desire this wonderful desire to know the Lord truly and to follow Him, and I cut her short. I'm so weak. And we all live in a world that seems so strong. At least when we think about its strength for doing evil, it seems absolutely unable to do what is righteous. It, it, so it becomes common to us to hear things like, or to, to, to take in these attitudes of our heart that people, they're all just, 
totally rotten. They're, 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 there's, they never change. Or, or when a marriage is going bad, you see the writing on the wall, it's, it's hopeless. You might as well just get out of that marriage. It's the, it's the kind of mentality that we, we, we learn at funerals. The dead stay dead. There's, there's no coming back. There's no turning back from certain realities. Even for the Lord Jesus, the mockers who are mocking Him on the cross, they seem to prevail. He's not a king. He's dead. Paul's first prayer in the book of Ephesians is asking for the spirit of revelation to be given to believers so that we might know Him. So that we might know him. That's what he's, he's praying. Oh God, give a spirit of revelation so that these people might be wise and know the truth. But not just the truth, the true God. And he calls him the Father of glory. And then he lists these three things he wants us to know about him or know from him. And that third thing that he wants us to know is what we're focused on this morning. It's that We are not united to an impotent idol. You need to have your perspective changed. You are not united to a powerless, lowercase God. He says you are the children, not of an impotent idol, but a God of glory. He's glorious. He has all authorities ruling and reigning and over everything. You are. I want you to know that you are the brother and the, the sister of the high king of heaven. He has ascended far above all the heavens. The first thing that Paul wants us to have strength for is to know something. Yes, you may be very weak. And I pray that you know that. That does not mean Christianity is a weak, powerless existence. Paul wants your mentality to change. He wants you to know what power is toward you. Not just what kind of power is available out there, but that is actually bent and directed toward you who believe. Weak soul. Weak soul. What kind of power is available to you? Look back in verse 19. Look at all the words about the power. It is immeasurably Great, this power. It is, it is the kind of power that is in accordance with. It is working. It's in accordance with the working of His great might. To put it in slang, it is from the redundancy of the inspired impossible or apostle we could 
we could summarize that this kind of power is immeasurably bigly. It's huge. It is so great. I, I couldn't even tell you how to measure it. If, if I gave you some measurement of it, it, you would laugh at me. You would roll your eyes. You would, you would maybe say, give me strength. Just think I'm exaggerating whenever I tell you. Paul just keeps trying to add these words of how powerful the power of God is toward his people. How mighty, this is another way to ask it. How mighty is the God who can speak and galaxies appear. That's, that's getting at the kind of power that is toward you. How mighty is the God who speaks and sees part and then reconvene? Uh, how, how mighty is the God who can merely speak and the crippled all of a sudden walk? It's that kind of power... It's a strength that is not lazy. It works. It's not dormant. It's not just sitting there. It's uber productive. Verse 20 tells you how productive it is. It's the kind of power that can come up to a coffin and say to a dead man, get up, and he did get up. This is the kind of power at work within you, believer. It's the kind of power that caused Jesus to be raised from the dead and not just raised from the dead, but raised even higher above all the heavens so that the mockers were all wrong. The circumstances were all wrong. The Lord Jesus, yeah, He did. He bore the cross for sinners and bore all the infinite wrath of God on that cross and then He conquered death and he got his crown. The father of glory is directing that kind of power, that mighty resurrection energy toward us who believe. So the first thing I want you to see about strength from the book of Ephesians is that Christians should never be hanging our head in defeat. We're not unrealistic about our suffering. And we're not ever moping about the impossibility of redemption of these weak circumstances. The sovereign Lord shares immeasurable strength with believers. But then point number two is in chapter three. Point number two comes from chapter three beginning in verse 14. It's the second prayer of Paul. And when he prays again in the book of Ephesians, he's praying about strength. And it's strength to comprehend Christ's love. Point number two is strength that's available to believers is a strength to comprehend Christ's love. Verse 14 For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power 
through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Two things I want you to see in in verses 14 and following. First, this is a strength that the, the Lord gives to His people to house Him. It's strength to house the strong one. It's strength that goes not just to to you superficially, but to your inner being. And he he talks about uh, Christ dwelling in your hearts through, through faith. In other words, in the truest part of you, you will be strengthened. He's not talking about putting on a brave face in the midst of great difficulties, he's saying in the midst of great difficulties, having an inner strength because Christ lives in you through faith. In other words, he wants you to have strength that you might have faith, that he might really live in you as you believe in him. I'm guessing most of us here are not viewing the Lord Jesus as someone who is weak, The wind does his bidding. He opens the the clouds and all our soccer games just get washed away. We're not going to play anything this season. Paul wants your heart strong so that you may believe the truth about Jesus. Jesus who is all-powerful. And he wants you to believe the truth, I think, because the enemy would want you to believe the lie about the all-powerful Jesus and how he might use his power against you. As you think about the strong one living in you and getting into your deepest parts, you might cringe. But that leads us to the second thing that he wants us to know. He wants you to be strong so that you might know so that you might comprehend something, so that you might know love. He wants us to be strong so that Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, so that you might know the love. Now the Apostle John, decades later, is rebuking the same church. Because, as I understand it, they, their love has cooled for Jesus. And I do not think Paul is addressing the same thing here. He is not talking about their love for Christ. He's talking about His love for them and us. One season where I was severely discouraged... Um, in the work of ministry, a dear friend of mine said a sentence that I don't think I'll ever forget. You may have even heard me share this with you. It's made such an impact upon me 
as I was so discouraged and tempted to lose heart in the work. He looked at me and he encouraged me. And the courage that he put into me had nothing to do with anything in me. He just said, Ryan, do you know how much the Lord loves Church, never forget this. You were not saved because from the earliest age you were always longing for a Savior. And then all of a sudden, whenever He appeared, you immediately loved Him. You and I were saved because we have a Savior who deeply loves us. That's why when Paul mentions Jesus, he is constantly mentioning his love. Verse Chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. For us. For Sinners, for you, for me, for sinners. He gave Himself up as a sacrifice to God. Yes, but for us, a fragrant offering. The sinless Son giving Himself up for sinners is, a, is all the offering that the Father needed in order to have us. That He who gave Himself up for you, Paul says, it's not just that He did give Himself up for you. You need to know that He who gave Himself up for you has not stopped loving you. He loved you. That's why He came. He loved you. That's why He bore the cross. And He still loves you. And I want you to know how much He loves you. He wants to live in you so that He might fill you with something, the confidence of His love. And if you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus, I pray that this appeals to your heart. That you might meet someone like this. And even if you haven't been longing for a Savior all your life, you've needed a Savior all your life. You need someone to be the sacrifice for your sins. And the Lord Jesus did this for sinners. Turn from your sins and you will not just have a past tense love from Jesus. You will have a present tense experience of the loving Savior. Paul says that Savior's love is coursing through our veins like nutrients from a root into the branches, rooted and grounded in love. And by the Savior's love, He is building us up and bringing Him to a permanent dwelling with Him. Paul wants the Ephesians and he wants Christians, I'm sure, in Graham, Texas to know that Christ does not just love apostles. Your heart may struggle with this thought every once in a while that Paul does not want you to think this way, that Christ just loves martyrs like Stephen. He doesn't just love missionaries like Dennis Amandi. 
Even if you're a Christian who is struggling severely with your sin, you are truly fighting against that sin, but you're so often losing. You are no less loved than the ones who are sitting right now in paradise at Jesus' feet. His prayer is for all the saints to comprehend this, to comprehend this love. But how can we comprehend something that is so abundant? He wants you to comprehend it, and yet he's really struggling to define it, because maybe if we define it, we've already limited it. And so he just says it's broad, it's, it's long, it's high, it's deep. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote a whole book on these verses in Ephesians called All Loves Excelling. He called this broad, long, high, deep love of Christ, the four magnitudes of Christ's love. And he speaks about it in this way, as only Puritans can. He says, Christ's love is broad. It's broad enough to save sinners to the utmost from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And as he's reflecting on Christ's love in this passage, Bunyan then reflects on Christ's love for his own being as long as eternity past and still long enough to keep us to eternity future. That Christ's love is high enough to bring us to heaven. That Christ's love is deep enough to have canceled the claims that hell had on our souls. As long as I could remember, I've been someone, even as a small child, who pondered infinity. I was always, when I'd have moments uh, by myself just thinking, I would be pondering and be mesmerized by the infinity of space that you could just keep going out and see more. I was just, my mind just kind of focuses on and is boggled by the idea that numbers are infinite. You can just keep adding More and more. So my friend says, Ryan, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And the answer at times is, well, yeah, I'm I'm overwhelmed by the cross. I know how sinful my heart is. I'm even overwhelmed by those other blessings that pour out from the cross, the kindnesses that we experience from the Lord Jesus in our lives. But no, the answer is no. And you The answer for you is no. If you are a Christian, you don't know how much the Lord loves you. It's always more than you think. It's always more. He says he wants us to know the love that surpasses knowledge. I don't know what more to do with this phrase than just to believe it. And then to pray it. To acknowledge that he's saying something about this knowledge. That there is such a thing as theoretical knowledge. I think this is true. That's not what he's talking about. There is such a thing as convictional knowledge. I know this is true for the Bible tells me so and God never lies. That's not what he's talking about. He seems to be talking about an experiential kind of knowledge. That our knowledge of Jesus' love is not just thought, but felt. It's a knowledge that surpasses just thought knowledge. That we might, he says, feel, feel all the fullness of the God of love in housing the Son who loved us. 
The sovereign Lord shares immeasurable strength with believers. How good is his power that he would use it in this way. The third thing that I'm struck by about the power of God in the book of Ephesians comes in a passage we've already read. It's the end of that prayer in verses 20 and 21. It is a strength to glorify God. The Sovereign Lord shares a measurable strength with believers to glorify God. There's a shift here in the prayer. It's from praying that God would strengthen, give strength to you, to then praying that God would give glory to Himself according to that strength that He is working in believers. Now, a couple of times He has prayed according to glory, both in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. He's praying according to the riches of His glory. You've got all this glory. Will you then, in your glory, strengthen? And now, He reveals that the goal of all of that strength that's working in believers is actually the glory of God. So give me strength. Give me strength. What do you pray for strength for? Paul is guiding us in prayer. Don't be praying for strength ultimately to make much of you. To increase your popularity, to increase your experience of earthly prosperity. That's not... It's not not even praying for strength that we might know the love of God so that we might feel more lovable. This is, not, this is not the kind of strength that Paul's interested in where it would result in us expanding our selfishness or enabling a strength to enable our vain ambitions. The power of Almighty God is working its way through us like yeast works its way through dough. That power is to Him. You see this in verses 20 and 21. Now to him, and then he explains him, and then he says in verse 21, he gets back to that thought. Now to him be glory. Be glory in the church. Now to him be glory through the work that Christ Jesus is doing through the church in accordance with and consistent with the power of Almighty God that he's working in us. Now, I don't know about you, but I am desperate to experience God's amen to Paul's prayer. I am desperate to experience. I just want to appeal to you now that you might grow in desperation to see God say amen to Paul's prayer in verses 20 and 21 in the church. Verse 21. To Him be glory in the church. Why not ours? That's what he's praying for. I want God to say amen to Paul saying, throughout all generations, why not our generation? 
If your ambition is the advance of God's glory, you should hear Paul say that he is able. He is able to empower this church to pursue that goal of God's glory. I don't know how big your thinks are. I don't know. I hope they're huge. I don't know how big your asks are. But Paul closes this prayer in verse 21 with the word, Amen. I don't think he's trying to signal to you and me to open our eyes and look up. That's not what the word Amen is there for. This this cue, okay, now I'm done praying. I'm going to move on to something else. No, he is inviting the church who is reading this to agree with this deep desire of His for God to use His power to glorify Himself through the work of Christ in the church. And I'm thinking about that, and I'm asking Him to do that. I'm asking Him to glorify Himself in Redeemer Church to use this congregation to bring gospel clarity where God is common. In this gleaming buckle of the Bible belts, that nominal Christianity would be crushed. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking for the power of the blood that was accepted by the Father to be applied by the Spirit to advance the Redeemer's kingdom. Not just through our congregation. I'm, I'm asking those kinds of things for the Brazos River Ministers Association. I'm asking the Lord to cause a people to flourish. Not based upon the programs of a church or how good our cookies and coffee is. Not according to the personality of a preacher. Amen. We're grateful for that. but to cause a people to flourish by the Spirit-filled preaching of a Christ who is worthy of all blessing, honor, and glory to a Spirit-filled people who actually believe that He is worthy of all blessing, honor, and glory, and for us to live a life that brings glory to God. Church, He is able, and He's able to do far more abundantly than all of that. Praying church is a powerful church because a praying church knows where the power to do what we want is. What we want is His glory. So we ask Him to pour power on us to glorify Himself. Oh, church, will you ask and think and believe in His ability to bring glory to Himself by the work of Christ through us. Fourth and finally, uh, if we were to look at the book of Ephesians and learn something about the strength of God shared with believers, we would see in chapter 6, starting in verse 10, that it's the kind of strength to stand against the devil. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 10 is a command. It is a command. It is the kind of command that you might be able to hear from advisors all throughout this world. Regardless of what they believe. You're going through a hard time and you'll hear, be strong. The storms of this life threaten to knock you down. Or the Breckenridge buckaroos or whatever. Be strong. Verse 12. Verse 10, you could hear commonly. Verse 12, I I would guess, is one of the most well-known verses in the book of Ephesians. The way I hear it, it comes up whenever there are divisions, whenever people are mad at one another in the church. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Don't don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And I'm struck when I read about how much power is available to believers and and what that power is for. When we understand verse 12 out of its context, we are only thinking about fighting one another and how inappropriate that is. But Paul is not talking about fighting one another. He wants us instead to really recognize who we're really fighting. That is the explanation for why you need the whole armor of God. Because your foe is far greater than a human. Your problems are more powerful than the ones you're tempted to focus upon. Some Just the fractures in relationships that you cherish or you're wanting strength for enduring an illness. But you should pray for that. But your enemy is far greater than that. Your foe is far greater than difficulties that you experience at work. That's the point of verse 12 when Paul says, We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against rulers. 
We're wrestling against authorities. We're wrestling against cosmic powers who are ruling over this present darkness. We're wrestling against spiritual forces. Armies of evil. And they're in the heavenly places. These are words that are very powerful about our enemy. He's saying if your enemies were flesh, maybe you could find strength sufficient in your flesh to fight those kinds of enemies. Christian, your enemy is powerful. That's why in chapter 2 he says he overpowered you. That's why he's called a prince of the power of the air and you were following him and he made you think you were free, but you were carrying out the desires of your sinful body and sinful mind. And he was leading you all the way to the wrath of God. He is powerful and he's got forces around him. Will you stand? The days are evil. Can you withstand them? Think carefully. Walk carefully. Look carefully how you walk because the days are evil. And there's a lot of empty words out there saying that sexual morality is fine. Saying that impurity is fine. Saying that coveting and being dissatisfied with what you have is fine. Don't be deceived by those empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. The days are evil. You will be tempted to hide your darkness. You will be tempted to spend and squander your days in debauchery and drunkenness. The days are evil. Can you withstand the evil day? I wonder if you know what it means to be strong in the strength of your own flesh. I so too regularly slip into this, ignoring the command at the end of Ephesians, be strong, church, in verse 10. Not buck up, not hang in there, Stand against the onslaught of spiritual forces that are aimed at your eternal perishing. Flaming darts from the evil one all the evil day. Coming to extinguish your faith. To drag you away. Be careful, Americans. Be careful. I don't even, I, I, I think we probably don't even understand how capable we are, how, how much we rely upon our own strength, how much we think we got this. It's in our very birth as a nation. It just took pitchforks. That was our weapons. I just reached for whatever I got. Those tea-sipping Downton Abbey aristocrats can't handle what I got. And then we're in Texas. Come and take it. Paul has a word 
for so many professing Christians who take victory for granted. You need power. Now, he's already said, Christ has ascended above all the heavens, above every power, every dominion, every ruler, every authority, above every name that is named. But do not take him for granted. Go to his armory and do it as often as you think you need it. You're at war. You need weapons. Paul closes this this letter filled with strength and blessing from the conquering Lord Jesus. And he would communicate to us that if you are a passive professor of faith, you've already made peace with the enemy. Beloved, if the Christian life does not feel like war, If you are not habitually picking up weapons and growing in your use of them, you're not standing against the devil. You've already fallen in line behind him. Will you stand? This isn't about you defeating the devil. This is about you defending against the devil. There's someone else who's going to defeat him. And he has weapons that are sufficiently powerful against that kind of enemy. So war, dress yourself daily, reach for and take up every day. You need to believe you need truth. You need truth. None of this taken for granted. I was saved at this age. I don't care about the truth. You need righteousness, he says. You need the gospel. You need faith. You need the Word, you need the Spirit, you need to pray, or you won't stand. The Apostle says, if you are not strong in those weapons, you will be destroyed. Put on the whole armor of God. And if you do, the conclusion is, a praying, righteous, Bible-loving believer is a terrible target for the enemy. Really a futile one. He won't conquer those who are standing in Christ. But this is what it means to stand. The sovereign Lord shares immeasurable strength with believers. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is so encouraging and so challenging. We pray that you would use it to strengthen us. Lord, in in the midst of our great weakness, may we depend upon you and and not have a hint in our hearts that you are not able to defend us. We pray that you would make us a people who love righteousness, who love the truth, and who grow in the gospel. We pray this for the glory of the one who will, be the, who will defeat our enemy for us. We ask this in his name.